All right, uh, open your Bibles once again to Romans chapter 5. I told you we'd be going slowly through this section, and I wasn't kidding. Not that I speedily go through anything, but nonetheless. Romans chapter 5. Now, as I mentioned last week, we are in the second half of this chapter, which is really uh, centered around the comparison slash contrast between Adam who stands for man's condemnation, and then, of course, Christ, who stands for the believer's justification. Now, reading in verse 12, and then finishing his thought in verse 18, Paul said this. He said, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned, verse 18. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. And so he says here that sin came into the world through Adam. Okay, verse 12 tells us that. And he says the consequences of that sin was death. Now that, of course, should not come to any surprise. We all know as we went through this, God had warned Adam in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, what would take place if they ate of the fruit. And of course, he said, you will surely die. Well, Paul then says here in verse 12, and in this way, in other words, simply saying, because of Adam's sin and subsequent death, he's saying here, death came to all men. Okay? And then he says, because all sinned. So he's saying here that the sin of Adam passed on to everyone who followed. We were all born in sin, and therefore we have a desire, we have a nature to sin. Okay, we've talked about that with little kids. It doesn't take long for little babies to start to disobey their parents. Okay, and remember, those little babies like us, either way you want to look at it, we did not sin and therefore become sinners. We sinned because that is who we are, because we are sinners. Matter of fact, to even prove that, look at the beginning of verse 18 as well as the beginning of verse 19. Verse 18, he says, Just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men. Did you catch that? Because of what Adam did was condemnation for all men. Look at the beginning of verse 19. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, he says the many were made what? Sinners, okay? Matter of fact, even King David understood this way before, centuries before Paul had ever written this. Psalm 51.5. David said, I was sinful at birth. And then check this out. He goes back even further than that. Well, how do you go back further than that? He says, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Sin has an effect. Now, to prove his point that we were born sinners, Paul now brings up the law of God, or if you will, the Mosaic law, 
and how even though before it, okay, there was no law to break, right? There was no law, there's no law to break. He said sin was still there. The very beginning of verse 13, he says before the law was given, sin was in the world. Well, folks, not only was sin in the world, but let me just tell you, it progressed quickly. Quickly. I mentioned this last time. The very next person to come into this world, okay, after Adam and Eve, was their son Cain, right? And as he aged, he became the older brother of Abel. And then one day, out of jealousy, out of disobedience, to the Lord, what did he do? He pulled Abel aside and he murdered him. He didn't kick him in the shins, folks. He didn't punch him in the arm. He took his life. How's that for being quick? Just like that, Adam and Eve sinned, boom, their very own son killed his brother. 1,600 years later, the reason that God decided to destroy this world with water was what? Sin. Sin. He destroyed the world because of sin. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. It just progressed, right? And then, I've always been amazed by this statement. Speaking of man, it says, Every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. You ever think about that? Every inclination was only evil all the time. Wow. That's like thinking about something on a constant basis. Always sin. A couple verses later, he says the earth was corrupt and it was full of violence. So much sin was in this world, Paul said. Um, Outside of the eight people, God destroyed the entire population with a worldwide flood. Everybody killed everybody. Took everybody out because of all the sin. Now, as you know, we can keep on going. I'm not going to do that. But there was so much sin that was in the world. And it kept getting worse. But, Paul continues, verse 13, and he says, sin will not be taken into account where there is no law. So he mentioned between Adam and Moses, right? The law came through Moses. So between Adam and and Moses, he said there was no law. So he says sin is not going to be taken into account where there's no law. In other words, you can't break a command of God if he's not given you one, right? Right? I mean, it'd be a little bizarre if you were driving down the street, uh, you know, Ward's Road, you're driving 40 miles an hour, and a cop pulls you over for speeding, and you're going, well, there's no speed limit here. Matter of fact, the laws have changed in all of Virginia. There is no speed limit anywhere. There's no, there is, there's no law. Drive 20, drive 120. doesn't matter. It, you, how do you get a ticket for driving too fast when there's no speed limit, right? That would seem a little odd. And it's the same kind of principle that he's talking about here, okay? He says they would not be punished for doing things that opposed the law because the law didn't exist. Okay, as you know, God would lay out a law. God told Adam, right? Don't eat of the tree. You do that, you sin, you will die, right? 
But he's saying here, there were no laws. The law of God wasn't there, so I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm not going to punish you, okay? But listen, though. They did not break the commands of the law, right? But to Paul's point, there was still sin in the world. Sin still reigned, okay? And therefore, come verse 14, Paul said, here's how we know that. I'm not just blowing smoke. He says in verse 14, nevertheless, that's a very important word, right? The end of verse 13, sin is not taken into account where there's no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a law or a command. Right? Death still reigned even over those who never broke a command of God because there wasn't a command, right? And so sin, even though it did not come from breaking God's law because there wasn't a law, he says it was still there, proving his point in verse 13. And the easiest way to verify that is, as he just stated, is because death never stopped. Death is the consequence of sin, right? How do you know there's sin? Because everybody keeps on dying. That's why. Everybody died. It's because sin was still present. Even today. How many cemeteries are in the world? I don't know. Tens of thousands? Hundreds of thousands? A million? I don't know. But even today, before or after the law, people continue to die. Because of one man's sin, not only did he die, but with the exception of two people, we know who they are, right? Elijah and Enoch, all died because all sinned. Okay, once again, from verse 12, Adam plunged man into sin and death. And now at the very end there, in verse 14, which is actually going to set us up for the, really the remaining of this chapter. Paul said Adam was a pattern of the one to come. That word there for pattern, uh, a pattern, uh, uh, two posts, is where we get our word for type. Okay, He's simply saying Adam was a type of the one who was to come. And of course, as you continue to read those verses, we know the one to come was the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing that pops into your head is you're going, holy smokes, how in the world can Adam be a type of Christ? It's because Adam, one man, linked himself to all that followed him as I just went through. Unfortunately, it was sin, right? It labeled us in sin. Christ, on the other hand, also one man linked himself, once again, to all who followed him. But through him, it was righteousness. What Adam did affected a whole lot of people, right? What Jesus Christ did affected a whole lot of people. And so there were a little similarities in that sense of being a type. So with that bringing us back to our immediate context, hopefully you got your mind back into that zone, we're going to enter verses 15 and following this morning where Paul wants to make sure that his statement there at the end of verse 14 
number one, does not get misconstrued. And number two, it just simply allows him an opportunity to expand on that. Okay? So let me just read that one part, the end of verse 14 again, and then I'll read verse 15. The end of verse 14, once again, he says, Adam was a pattern of the one to come. Adam was a pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15. But the gift, he says, is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. So Paul begins this verse here, as you noticed, with the word, but. Okay? This is Paul's very simple way of saying, yes, there might be a couple of similarities between Adam and Christ. Okay? But he's saying, but there are also some very big differences. Verse 14 says, Adam was a pattern of the one to come. Verse 15, but, look what he says. He says the gift, and that's God's gift, okay? The gift is not like the trespass. That's Adam's trespass. I think in the New Living Translation, it actually says that, okay? But God's gift is not like Adam's trespass. So yes, he's saying each uh, each incident has an impact, right? Adam's sin had a tremendous impact. But so did God's gift. But Paul's point here is this, especially using the word but. He says there is no comparison to that of Christ over Adam's. Okay? Yes, it is true. There are a couple similarities. Both were one men. Both affected many people. But what Christ gives is far superior to what Adam did and caused. Okay? What Christ gives is far superior to what Adam did and he caused. Now watch how he expands on this in verse 15. He says, For if the many died by the trespass of the one man... How much more, remember those words, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Now, there's a couple points there, but just so you know, I'm not going to spend any time this morning talking about the one trespass of Adam causing death to all men. Why am I not going to do that? Because I've actually already discussed that in the past couple of weeks, okay? And I hope that we've all got that at this point. I've spent a lot of time talking about Adam's sin, what it did, what it caused, and so we really don't need to get into that again. So hopefully, hopefully you understand that, uh, especially as I did the review starting in verse 12. But the key, folks, to the passage is that Paul is pointing to something greater than that, Okay? On the negative side, how bad and how horrific was the sin and the death that came from Adam? 
It was huge. It was big. We still deal with it today, right? But on the positive side, focusing on the word grace there in verse 15, focusing on the word grace, he uses the words, how much more? And then he also uses the word overflow, or if another translation, yours may say abound, okay? Now, just to mention this real quick, Paul uses those words, how much more, four times in this chapter alone, okay? Now, it's obviously, I should say, it's a given that he's speaking uh, that one thing is greater than the other, right? How much more? One thing is greater than the other. That's what he's trying to say here. And if you look at those four usages, it's always God doing something greater and it's always us receiving it. Understand that. It's always God who is doing something greater. But it's you and me who are the beneficiaries. We're the blessing of that. Verse 9, what does he say? He says, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Verse 10, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Verse 17, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? And then back, of course, to our current verse, verse 15, how much more did God's grace overflow to the many and... How much more did the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow through the many? Once again, it's always God's doing. God steps it up. God kicks it up a notch, as Emeril Lagasse used to say, if that man is still around, right? But each time, it is our blessing. God does something greater, but it's always our blessing, okay? Now, here in verse 15, we all understand how big Adam's sin was. We all understand the damage that it caused, okay? But let's look at the two things that Paul mentioned that were greater, okay? Number one, how much more, he says, did God's grace overflow to the many? We know Paul's, or Paul's, we know Adam's sin affected many, but how much more did God's grace overflow to the many? Now, folks, even though that statement is short and sweet, Paul is intending to show us the vastness of the grace of God. The vastness. Now, remember, folks, the word grace, charis, in the Greek, it also means gift, okay? In a simple way, you can say God's grace is giving us what we do not deserve, okay? Just in a simple way, God's grace is giving us, you and me, what we do not deserve. Now, folks, understand I mentioned this briefly in chapter 4, uh, in the context there of how we are saved by God's grace 
through faith. But I want you to understand, we're saved by God's grace through faith. Now, Paul spoke a lot about faith in that passage because it countered the, the Jewish view of the law. Okay? But we know that God's grace is where it all begins. God's grace is where it all begins. And what I mean by that is, if it wasn't for God's grace providing a way of salvation, even our faith wouldn't save us. You could talk about faith all you want, and he did, and he had a reason to do that. You can talk about faith and faith and faith and faith, but if it wasn't for the grace of God allowing us even an opportunity to be saved, wouldn't matter how much your faith you was, how much faith you had. It started with the grace of God. Okay? God did not have to allow a way. Do we understand that? God did not have to show his grace. He did not have to allow a way of salvation. He could have said, well, fine, that's what you get, stupid. But that's God's grace. He did allow a way. And because he knew that not one single one of us could keep the law, he made it so works was never involved, ever. And that's, of course, where faith came in, right? So don't misunderstand, folks. The power to save is not just by our faith, okay? Listen, it is by God's grace. I don't think, I know we throw that word around a lot in the church, but it is so huge. It is so big. It is so enormous. The grace of God. If God in eternity past was to say, all right, you know, I've been thinking. i got a four-point plan. Number one on that plan would be his grace because that's where it starts. The fact that he even had a plan is because of God's amazing grace. Like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Many of you know this, right? It is by grace that you are saved. Am I right? Yeah. Through faith. It is by grace you are saved, through faith, okay? By our faith, folks, we access God's amazing grace. Think of this song, right? It's not amazing faith how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's God's amazing grace. That's where it starts. That's what's bestowed on every one of us. And that's why I said a while ago, every time God went further, how much more? It's always to our benefit. That's his grace. That's his grace. Secondly, how much more did the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. One commentary, he put it all together, and he said this. Since the fall of man had such an effect as to produce ruin of many, 
much more efficacious is the grace of God to the benefit of many. Inasmuch as it is admitted that Christ is much more powerful to save than Adam was to destroy. God's grace is greater than man's sin. Not only is it greater than the one original sin of Adam that brought death to all men, but it is greater than all of the accumulated sins that men have ever or will ever commit. And he continues. It might be said that Adam's sinful act, devastating as it was, had but one dimensional effect. It brought death to everyone. But the effect of Jesus Christ's redemptive act has facets beyond measure because he not only restores man to spiritual life, but gives him the very life of God. Death by nature, he says, is static and it is empty. But life by nature is active and full. And so, folks, as I mentioned in the previous point, it started with God's grace. But let's not forget that the next in line is the fact that Jesus Christ is the one who was the fulfillment of that. Jesus Christ is the one who fulfilled the act of propitiating God. Jesus is the one who satisfied, that's what propitiating really means, he satisfied the righteous demands of God. God had a plan. It started with his amazing grace, but it has to be fulfilled. It has to start somewhere. Christ is the one that satisfied that. No one else could do it. Only Christ. Remember, folks, it was Jesus Christ, as we're told in Philippians chapter 2. It was Jesus Christ who, uh, um, who left his throne in glory. It was Jesus Christ who, who, who wrapped himself in flesh and bones. It was Jesus Christ who took on the nature of a servant. It was Jesus Christ, as we all know, who humbled himself to die on a cross. Matter of fact, we're told right here in the same chapter, chapter 5, verse 21. He said, Just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, you, you can actually even reverse that if you want. Because of, or by, or through Jesus Christ, our Lord, grace might reign through righteousness and bring us eternal life. No matter how you slice it, though, it is through, it is by, it is because of Jesus Christ. See? He says, by God's grace, not only have we been forgiven of our sins. That's just the grace of God. He didn't have to do that. But through Christ, we've been declared righteous. We were forgiven, right? But we've also been declared righteous. We talked about this, if you remember, in Romans chapter 3. We talked about imputed righteousness, right? What a deal did we get, right? Christ took our sin 
and gave us in return his righteousness. I think we got the better end of the deal. What do you think? It brings, it brings into play, folks, those words, how much more, see? Which kind of reminds me of our study in the book of Hebrews, right? The entire book of Hebrews was really about one point, the superiority of Jesus Christ in every way. Superior over the angels, superior to the high priest, superior, of course, in his sacrifice. You can just keep going on and on and on and on. Everything is superior through and by the Lord Jesus Christ. Hence the term, how much more? As he's used this, this term four times. Well, how about where he says here, through Christ, this grace overflows, or your translation might say, abounds. That just, it's a lot, that's what he's saying. I mean, verse 21, I just read it, just mentioned bringing us eternal life. I mean, have you ever thought about that? I mean, think about that. I mean, are you kidding me? You're giving me eternal life? You and I were living in sin. As I mentioned in the previous text, we were actually enemies of God. And then even after our salvation, we still call him Lord, and yet what do we do? We still fail him. And what does he do? He says Christ's death continues to cover our sin. And not only that, but following death, he gives us eternal life. Folks, God's grace through Christ is like winning the spiritual lottery. And I'm just, just breaking the surface on this. It is amazing grace. Well, verse 16, continuing this thought on how one act was greater than the other, okay? The very beginning of verse 16, he says, Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin, okay? So once again, we already spent time talking about Adam's sin, right, and, and his subsequent death, and so uh, how it affected him, how it affected the whole human race. We get that. I'm not going to talk about that anymore. Okay? So once more, sticking with Paul's focus here of uh, uh, greater and the lesser, he's making a clear distinction here by repeating what he said in the previous verse. Did you catch that? The very beginning of verse 15 but the gift is not like the trespass, okay? And then here, verse 16, he even says again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin, okay? So once again, we saw the small similarities between Adam and between Christ. But his emphasis now is on the distinction between the two and therefore the superiority of the one act of Christ over the one act of Adam. Okay? Notice the rest of verse 16. He says, the judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. 
But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. God had given Adam and Eve, as you know, one command, right? That's all he gave them, right? God gave them one command. He gave them one, one restriction, which was not to eat of the fruit from the tree. And of course, you know the rest of the story. You know what took place. But because of, listen, because of the one sin, God brought judgment on Adam. And as verse 12 stated, everyone that followed, the entire human race, received condemnation. But don't miss the point that he's saying. He very specifically said in this verse, the judgment followed one sin. He's playing on these words. It followed one sin, the one sin that Adam committed. And then there's that word again, but. Right? There's this contrast, right? But, Paul says, the gift, that's the gift of righteousness, the gift of salvation. The gift, he says, followed many trespasses, and it brought us justification. So Adam, one sin, okay? But in the work of Christ, he provided for the many acts of sins. How many? I don't know, billions, trillions? I, I don't know. When Christ died, he paid for a lot of sins, didn't he? For all those who would come to faith in Jesus Christ, all of their sins throughout all their lifetime, that's a lot of sin, isn't it? And it says he gave us justification. That is a declaration of righteousness. Once again, you and me, sinners, past enemies, still struggle. He declared us righteous. To paraphrase Expositor's commentary, God's grace in salvation did not merely cancel the effect of Adam's sin and therefore put us back into a state of innocence, but rather gives us far more than we lost in Adam, more indeed than Adam ever had. How many of us ever thought about that? I'm going to read it again. God's grace and salvation did not merely cancel the effects of Adam's sin and therefore put us back to a state of innocence, okay? But rather, it gives us more than we ever lost in Adam, more indeed than Adam ever had. That brings us back once again to Paul's point. <laughs> How much more? Though that, that, that's, there's a reason why he keeps stating this. How much more took place in the work of Jesus Christ? All right, one more point, verse 17, and we will close. He says, for if, and by the way, if you have if, put a line through it, it should be since. I mentioned that before in a previous verse, verse 10. Okay, this is a true statement. It's not assumed to be true. It is true. So therefore, it should be since, not any, or if. If is a, is a hypothetical. This, this we know happened. Look what it says. 
For since by the trespass of one man, death reigned to the one man. Well, we know that took place, right? We already know that, so it's since. For since by the trespass of the one man, that's Adam, because of that, death reigned through that one man. Now he says, and here's those words one more time, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Once again, you continue to see the contrast and hence the superiority of everything you get in Christ. And so as you can see, the principle that he's saying in verse 17 is the same as the previous verses. But this time, Paul is bringing up the contrast of death and life. Okay? And I agree with Vincent, who he says uh, the, the focus or the key word that is used in both of those is the word reign. Reign. Paul says that through Adam, death reigned. In Adam, death reigned, right? We saw that in verse 14, right? Even before the law was given, even before there were commands to break, death reigned because of sin, okay? And by the way, it never stopped. It kept going and we still see it today. It never ended. From the very first people who walked the planet to right now, it never stops. Sin and death, sin and death. But, he says, when it comes to the one man, Jesus Christ, he says, we received the gift of grace, which we already talked about. We also mentioned the gift of righteousness, which we've also mentioned. And now he says, we will reign in life. Before reigning in death, now we reign in life. We are no longer under the rule of death. But we have life. We have a, if you will, a spiritual life right now. Right now, we have what you and I would simply call a spiritual life. I thought of Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He who began a good work in you, and then of course it says, will carry it on to completion. We know who he is. We know who, who, who began that good work in us. But that's the point. He began a work in you and in me, a spiritual life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. We are a new creation in Christ. Titus uses the word rebirth. John 3 uses the word born again. See, we're new, we're different. We have life. Now. But I wanted to add this. In addition to that, we don't just reign in life. But you know what? We will also reign in eternal life. You know that? Number one, it's brought up right here in verse 21. I read it earlier. It tells us that. It talks about through Jesus Christ. We will, it talks about his grace, his righteousness to bring us eternal life. Number two, because we know that everything that Paul has said is Christ superseding Adam. So it's not just life, it's eternal life. But also, most importantly, because Scripture tells us that. 
2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, if we endure, we will reign with him. There's that word reign. We will reign with him. In Revelation chapter 20, we will reign with him in the millennial kingdom. And even better than that, in Revelation 22, verse 5, this is the eternal state. It says we will reign with him forever and ever. See, we reign in life instead of reigning in death. We have a spiritual life in Christ. We are new. We are different. We have a relationship with him. We have a new life, right? That's why I went through all those things. Born again, rebirth, new creation. We're not who we used to be, but also an eternal life one day. Think about all that. It would, it, it would seem, folks, that God's love for the sinner is greater than his hatred of sin. When you look at everything that, that the believer receives just from these few verses, it, his love, hence his grace, and you can throw in his mercy and everything else you want to throw in there. It's like it's greater for us than his hatred is for sin. We partake in his grace he forgives us all of our sin, and he doesn't just give us a better life, but eternal life to reign in him. I would say that is a pretty amazing thing for a group of undeserving sinners. And Paul absolutely wanted to make sure that is what he got across. So much more, more than that. It is the superiority of everything we receive in Christ versus everything we received in Adam. Sure, a couple similarities, but the contrast, he's saying it's not even close when you're in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us so much. Lord, I know we're, we can sometimes get used to knowing this or understanding it and say, yeah, I already believed that before Darren gave that sermon. But Lord, I hope that as we little by little work our way through this book that um, we'll pick up on things that we never quite thought about before. Your grace is huge. It is amazing. What we have in Christ it's far beyond what we can imagine. And Lord, even, even to the point of, you know, it is so superior in Christ and what we have in Adam. And the fact that you even gave it to us, the fact that you even allowed that salvation and didn't just allow it, but gave us righteousness, one day even going to eternal life. <laughs> that is amazing. Well, we don't deserve any of that. As I mentioned today, we still sin. But you even gave us grace there because you allow the death of Christ to continue to cover our sin. Lord, may we understand that what Adam did was huge and it affected every single person who walked this planet. But may we never forget that what Christ did was even greater. So much more than that. Superior to that. And the great thing is it is ours in Jesus Christ. And Lord, may, may we honor you May we live for you. May we give you praise and glory because of all of that. It's in Jesus' name we pray.